Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 11th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We need to have a talk about immigration. In fact, there is a need for profound reflection on the values that form at the foundation of our society. This is according to the Catholic bishops of Ireland following their winter meeting in Maynooth. Uh, the bishops said that the conversation on immigration needs to be in the context of fulsome consultation on the planning and delivery of adequate accommodation and associated healthcare, educational and social services for the entire community and to ensure that issues concerning multiple levels of deprivation in different parts of the country are tackled so that no one can perceive themselves as disadvantaged. Let's speak uh, to Bishop Michael Reuter who is uh, the Auxiliary Bishop of Armagh and on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you Bishop Reuter. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Your conversation, like many others, came uh, in the wake of uh, the terrible riots in Dublin. It was a wake-up call for many people in this country. Uh, is that how you describe it for the bishops? Yes, yeah, certainly, Michael. What you say was true. Uh, it was a wake-up call to a lot of people and uh, it was certainly something that the bishops discussed at their meeting last week and were very shocked that there was such uh, an outpouring of, uh, of hate. Uh, and, um, you know, we really were you know, taken aback that this could, uh, you know, that the situation had descended into uh, very clear uh, violent activity in the streets in the centre of our our capital city. So we were like every other uh, person in the country, I suppose, taken back by that and and very upset and disappointed by it. Mm. And 
you believe uh, that these people carry a, a grudge. I, I take it from what you said about people perceiving themselves as being disadvantaged, uh, as being uh, an important part of trying to tackle this problem so that nobody feels that one is getting uh, something up on them. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a symptom of a wider problem in our society at the moment. Um, I don't think that everyone who took part in, in those riots would be, could be considered to be racist as such. Uh, but it's just a, a symptom of how people are, are feeling, perhaps, uh, about the inequitable society in which we live and the, the ongoing problems that we are having in relation to housing in particular i mean i think that is the the really big issue that really has to be tackled mm. one way or another because it is causing such unrest uh, in in our society and uh, you know if people are, are are struggling to to find a home or to have adequate accommodation and they see other people coming in either migrants or refugees and perhaps accommodated even though that accommodation is not fantastic uh, they they th- there's a certain resentment <clears throat> they become an easy target, a soft target in the sense. And, uh, you know, it's that fear of what the other is doing and what, uh, you know, and the resources mm. that the other person, the stranger, is is, is taking on me, uh, that they become, as I say, the easy target uh, for a lot of vitriol and, and hatred. And uh, sort of the frustration is brought out, the frustration with, with our situation, with the situation in a country that, you know, was supposed to be very wealthy, mm. uh, a country that has plenty of resources, but yet they don't seem to be fairly distributed. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm not sure if this is true or not. Somebody said it to me over the weekend uh, that one of the looters, I suppose, is a better way of putting it rather than uh, one of the rioters, because we assume that the riots were based on racism and problems that people had with uh, people coming into this country. But one of the looters, uh, uh, somebody said to me, uh, was a young ma- black man. Uh, and uh, it would have seemed particularly ironic uh, had he been uh, opposed to, to immigration uh, and the way that people are, are being treated. Um, but uh, that's the problem, is it not? That people feel that they're not, they're not being treated fairly, uh, that somebody is getting something up on them, that because their life isn't what it should be in uh, wealthy countries like this, then there must be somebody to blame. Uh, And there is this assumption that all of that money that this country or this government has that could be spent on these people is being spent on immigrants instead of them and they're losing out. Which is not not the case. I I, I mean, uh, there's still a very small uh, proportion of, of the resources that we have in this country being spent on migrants and, and, and immigrants and refugees, uh, it, it doesn't stand up to any uh, sort of investigation uh, at all that that is a, a cause of our, of our problems. But it's, as, as I say, a sense of the frustration that people have about the housing issue in particular, uh, that, you know, that they feel that there is housing stock being taken over by people who are coming into the country that maybe should be housing people who are, who are homeless here who are you know uh, part of our own community but there's a whole range of different problems like you 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 mentioned that young man who who was involved in in the looting i mean there was an awful lot of people who just took the opportunity 
uh, that was given by the breakdown of law and order in Dublin that evening uh, to to actually loot shops. Say that they had no ideological reason uh, to be doing that or mm. to be causing destruction. They just took the opportunity. Mm. But that also says something about the society that we live in, that there were so many people, you know, available to do that in such a short period of time mm. uh, that sometimes, uh, you know, society, particularly in our urban areas, in our inner cities, and that has, has broken down to a large degree. And, and they, these are people who feel forgotten. They feel that nobody cares about them. They feel completely disenfranchised. They feel that there is no way of making their point until something like this comes along as an opportunity, if you like, to say yes. how angry they feel. Yeah, they, there is a degree of that. There certainly would be. But I, I'd say there was a, a fair number of opportunists as well uh, who were just taking advantage of, of the situation. But there certainly are people uh, who will stir up uh, unrest and, and uh, you know, trouble and, uh, in our society. Yeah. Maybe people in the, the far right, sometimes in the far left as well, in order to... Uh, achieve their goals and to cause instability uh, in our country and um, you know it's it's that that's what we have to be you know be very careful about and to to be uh, constantly wary of uh, is that you know people that a whole group of people in society aren't singled out as being the cause of a problem of an issue that's there long before they ever arrived and we've seen it happen in other countries you know, where the, the fear of, of the stranger, the fear of, of the other person uh, can lead to, to terrible acts uh, being done against them. So mm. we, ju- we just have to be very, very careful. The state- I'm sorry, uh, Bishop. The statement from the Bishop uh, calls on people of faith and all people of goodwill to stand up against all forms of racism. Uh, what, what does that mean, Bishop Reuter? Uh, I mean, we have been getting uh, texts now daily for weeks uh, from people who are saying, Michael, I'm not racist, uh, but if we're going to provide people with accommodation, should we not look after the 14,000 homeless Irish people in this country first? Well, I, I definitely believe that we should look after the, the 14,000 homeless people without any shadow of a doubt. That's That has to be an absolute priority. But but we have to realise that a lot of people who are coming to this country as refugees and migrants, they're not doing so as a matter of choice. They're doing so because they're fleeing from situations of terrible fear, maybe because of war, or because of environmental changes that are happening and uh, are make it untenable to, to continue to live in, in a land which is uh, effect, affected by drought or, or famine. So there's lots of different reasons. People, most people, the vast majority of people, don't choose to leave their own home place uh, for no reason. Mm. Uh, they do so because they're under severe pressure. And I think as Christians, we've got to remember at this time of the year in particular that Jesus and his mother Mary and, and, and Father Joseph, yeah. they were migrants as well. They were refugees. Mm. He had to spend the first few years of his life in a, in a foreign country. Uh, so to, to get away from the dictatorship of, of Herod. So, you know, we, mm. we've got to remember that, that, that even though we have serious situations that have to be a priority here in this country, we do have to reach out and, and be generous 
towards those who are fleeing even worse situations. But what about the context of where we are at now at the moment? Because we've been very, very generous as a nation. A lot of people will say to you, we took in a 100,000 or more at this stage. And I have no problem with that. I'm glad we should do everything that we are able to do. Uh, I quoted from the bishop's statement at the beginning because it, it is exactly what people are concerned about. Uh, you talk about consultation on planning and delivery of accommodation. There's complaints of that sort across uh, the country, educational and social services. Every day we're getting calls from people saying, uh, Ireland is full, we can't provide uh, the housing, let alone the doctors or the schools or uh, the police service because with more people, crime levels rise. Uh, how do we balance all of that, Bishop? Well, well there needs to be a, a strategy. You know, I mean, we need to have a conversation about this, not people shouting at each other, but a, a genuine conversation. I mean, there the, the needs to be a strategic uh, approach to this whole issue because the issue of migration, refugees, and all, that's not going away. I mean, that is going to continue and possibly even get worse, particularly uh, with the issue of climate change uh, and and the wars that are are spreading throughout various different parts of of the world. The the issue is probably going to to get worse, unfortunately, rather than better. So we have to have some strategic planning. And we talk there about consultation. And I think that is the essential element that... There's consultation with communities. We've seen many different places where suddenly a large number of refugees were brought into a a small rural village or town and there was a reaction against it. Uh, And, and you know, that's a natural reaction because oftentimes the local school is is struggling to accommodate uh, the children and have the proper staffing and resources and all the rest. Uh, And suddenly you have, you know, several refugees arriving Without any consultation with the local uh, people, with the local community, without any thought about you know, how these uh, the services are going to be provided for these uh, people, extra people into the community. Mm. So I think that that's a crucial area is that we have to have a strategy, we have to have a plan uh, for the future, but we also need to be consulting more with people on the ground. And maybe to conclude, uh, you could uh, tell us what you believe are the foundations of our society because you've called on people uh, to think about this. You said there's a a need for a profound reflection on the values that form those foundations. Well, I mean, the the most important value that that we uh, as Christians espouse is, of course, respect for the other, for person, for people, uh, respect for everyone. That uh, you know that all people have to be treated equally because we believe that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and you know we, that value that if that once that's watered down uh, in society, then we we face very many serious issues and problems and difficulties. So I think that respect for people and respect for life in particular. Uh, is are the values, the foundational values on which society and civilization is built. And we can have all sorts of debates and arguments about other issues and all the rest, but ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, it's respect for the other, respect for our own life and for the life of others uh, is, is the foundational value for, for everything. 
Association. Okay, Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Bishop Michael Reuter is uh, the Auxiliary Bishop of Armagh. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments that have uh, been coming to us. Quite a, a number of people are in touch already this morning. Somebody in touch saying, let's take a look at the crime statistics of refugees. We need to talk about it. I'm not a racist, but uh, I do have concerns. And Michael, I'm far from far right. We're taking people into the country. There's no plan in place. We're just handing out houses, free travel, free doctors, while our own Irish people are suffering, low-paid workers having to pay for doctors, people struggling with mortgages, Irish people living on the streets. It's just not on, says our caller. An awful lot in that. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us. I'm not sure why we would have to look at the crime statistics of refugees uh, because one or ten or a hundred or a thousand refugees have acted in a criminal way or have acted uh, in a way that uh, is uh, at the higher end of uh, the criminal scale, whether that's uh, assault, attempted murder, murder, rape or whatever the case may be. Uh, Because you can't judge everybody who comes to this country because of the actions of one other person. I mean, that's like saying uh, if uh, we all went to America in the morning that somebody would be talking to us about some Irish man that killed somebody over there uh, a month ago uh, and that we're all the same, that we're all murderers because we're all Irish. I I, I, I don't understand the logic of how you can connect, uh, let's say, the innocent children who are coming to this country with somebody who has carried out a terrible crime. It has nothing to do with the community. It has got to do with a criminal within that community. Uh, and, uh, of course, when population levels increase, crime will increase with it. Uh, Column says, could you ask the bishop why they don't allow homeless people into the many vacant parochial houses around the country? It would be a godly gesture. Thanks uh, for that column. I think uh, the church has given quite uh, an amount of property over to immigrants. Uh, another text from somebody who says, Michael, you always always highlight the riots at that terrible day in Dublin, which were deplorable, but you never mentioned the heinous crime that was committed before that, the attempt to murder children and a teacher by a person who, in this case, happened to be an immigrant. In my view, murdering a child is a lot worse than destroying property. You, Michael, are part of the problem. Report all of the news. Don't infantilize uh, uh, your listeners. You're only rubber stamping uh, the view that mainstream media are pushing a certain narrative. Uh, thanks very much uh, for that. I think we do report all of the news, including uh, that terrible uh, attack uh, on uh, those infants in Dublin before the riots. Uh, an avid listener says, Michael, those who normally do the wrong thing by throwing their bottles and cans on the roadside in rivers and so on might do what is right soon enough as they'll be re- rewarded for respecting the environment. Uh, thanks uh, indeed, Navin listener, that's uh, talking about the deposit that will be on those items uh, in the new year. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, our phone number is 0419832000. You can also text or WhatsApp us on 086 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing this morning, the Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton Harris is uh, to meet with uh, the political parties in Hillsborough today for roundtable discussions. Let's speak to David Rossiter, uh, a councillor for the Alliance Party in uh, the Hollywood and Tland Boy constituency uh, and well known in this neck of the woods for that matter. Good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed for joining us once again on the programme. What's your understanding of what these talks will hinge on. We're hearing uh, that the budget crisis will be discussed, but there is some speculation that power sharing will be discussed. 
Yeah, exactly, Michael. So the the uh, the meeting today is primarily to discuss the the finances of Northern Ireland and particularly um, how maybe institutions can be reformed. How can um, how can basically Northern Ireland be funded maybe to to the level it really should be um, in terms of the money that might come from from Westminster? Um, look, the the, the the government uh, departments here in Northern Ireland, the devolved um, departments, are really chronically underfunded. Me as a as a as a councillor here, Hollywood County boy, you know, the, I'm trying to put forward uh, positions to Department of Infrastructure in terms of roads maintenance, and there's just no money to do anything. So, look, that is that is primarily what the talks are today. Um, but I know Naomi Long will be going into those as well in terms of any any conversations um, about uh, restoring the executive. You should be making making the point that. Irrespective of the DUP's position, you know, reform of the institutions is going to be really essential uh, to ensure their their long term survival. What prospect or is is there any prospect at all of restoring the institutions? I think there there is, there is a prospect. You know, there is, there is an end of the road in sight here. Um, look, it it seems like the DUP. Um, you know, we've known what their key parameters are for any sort of deal. You know, they've been made that very clear in terms of their seven tests um, over eighteen months ago. Um, but while while we've been waiting for that to happen, you know the the finances have have really uh, really struggled in Northern Ireland, and, and those departments are really chronically underfunded. But I think I think that the UP are trying to uh, potentially get get a, get some sort of policy win that they can try and sell on the doors to their vote base. Um, but it, it's just it's just a sad situation that we all have to sit here and, and wait for them, wait for them to um, feel happy with the situation, and wait for them to 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 feel content. Um, and while we do that. Those those government um, departments, those those evolved institutions, are are chronically underfunded and, and really are crumbling. So today's talks are important from that mm. point of view. The party leaders will go in and they will try and, and put forward uh, their positions to the to the secretary of state. Is anything being done to change that position, where a political party, in this case the DUP, can hold the institutions, but more importantly the people of Northern Ireland to ransom? Yeah, I, I was slightly hopeful in the last couple of weeks. So there's there's a, an NI um, Affairs uh, Committee that meets in Westminster, and so they've been hearing from um, a lot of the key architects of the of the, the Belfast Good Friday Agreement um, over the last uh, number of number of, of months, and so they have put forward a report that uh, to the to the to Westminster that will outline ways in which they can look to, to reform the institutions. So look, those those some of the the points that were being brought across in that report were quite good. The the, the election of a speaker into the assembly um, that could still go ahead um, potentially without if one of the bigger two parties decided not to play ball. Um, you'd also um, you'd also look at the, the the first minister and deputy first minister. Potentially those titles might change to um, to something that sort of mm. you know outlines the equal weighting and power that comes there. But also crucially, then if Sinn Féin or the DUP were to step aside. Someone like Alliance, or indeed any other party that uh, wants to wants to move things forward and, and get the government working for people in Northern Ireland, they could take then take their place. So there is there is mm. there is options on the table there. That, that um, maybe you'd ha- need two thirds of uh, the elected politicians uh, to take their seats, uh, but not necessarily uh, the DUP uh, uh, if that was the larger of uh, the loyalist parties. Yeah, exactly. You would you would see you would see basically where um, the next biggest party then could potentially come in um, and take over the, the, you know first minister, deputy first minister. Although those those titles may change, mm. and they'd but, soon take um, their seats. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer, isn't it? Uh, but that's 
the uh, rock that the Good Friday Agreement was built on. Yeah, I think there, there's the reality is those institutions were were developed at a particular uh, time in Northern Ireland, and Northern Irish society has has, has changed, has evolved um, in the decades since. You know, we've seen the growth of alliance, for example, um, where where you know people who who don't like the politics of green and orange anymore, they don't want to uh, vote for party that is uh, explicitly either unionist or nationalist. But the institutions haven't haven't uh, made space for that, so. If they if they need if those documents need to be looked at, um, I think they need to be done in, in a in a way that's agreed by by all all sides, all sides in Northern Ireland, also uh, the Westminster government, the, the government in Ireland as well, come to a place that says, okay, the institutions now have to move with um, with the people that, that as, as society has evolved and changed. Those institutions also need to need to move and change as well. Yeah, it's coming close to two years, is it, um, since Stormont collapse? Well, we're looking at 18 months now, yeah. um, uh, Michael, so it's a very long time. But if you look at the life cycle of the whole of Stormont, you know, it's been down. Um, I think it's been down probably longer than what it's been. It's been it's been up. And so mm. it really does point to the fact that those those mechanisms um, for for how the institutions work do need to be, need to be examined and looked at. Mm, and if uh, those mechanisms don't work, the institutions don't work. Do we need the institutions if they don't work? I think so. No, I think they, they need to be there because, you know, the institutions and, and devolved government give people um, a, a voice. They give people a chance to, to express um, their, 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 their views. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's important that, that government decisions are made at the, the, the lowest level possible, if I, can, if I can say that. So, you know, government works best when it's closest to the, to the people. Um, and Westminster is it's much more far removed from the concerns of, of, of people in Northern Ireland. So, you know, having those devolved institutions there um, that uh, really speak with a, with a Northern Irish voice on Northern Irish matters, they're, it's really, cru- really crucial and really, and really key. Um, you look at, you know, the types of, types of um, you know, devolution that you have in Northern Ireland, you've got, you know, likes of education. That is, that is run, you know, by, by, by people who are elected to Stormont. And that, that should be the case. Those are the people who are closest to the people here, and and they know how um, people will, will want those you know, likes of education to be delivered in Northern Ireland. All right. Well, I, I take it uh, you're not particularly uh, optimistic uh, of any real movement in the coming days. Well, we'll see. We'll see, Michael. Um, it does seem to be that that um, the DUP are looking for potentially a policy when they can they can sell to to their voters. Um, Potentially, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I, I remain I remain hopeful. Okay, we'll leave it there on that note of hope. David Rossiter, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, David Rossiter, uh, one-time politician based in Drogheda, now a councillor for the Alliance Party in Hollywood and Clandboy. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, a few texts uh, coming to us uh, this morning. Somebody saying, uh, Michael, to have an opinion on any issue regarding immigration should not label a person as racist. I am definitely not racist and I welcome people here from all nationalities, in particular people fleeing persecution. However, we need to be honest and admit that we have people here just for benefits, people 
from the Ukraine who come here from other EU countries. The government is too late reducing the welfare from 220 to 38 per person. The bishop is correct to say we need a conversation on immigration. However, the politicians are sweeping issues under the carpet. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Another uh, comment uh, that comes to us by email this time from John Farrelly. He says again and again, the sidestep. The bishop fails to mention the bill of billions that is regularly mentioned with respect to immigration money that could and should be spent on Irish problems. Nothing to mention uh, the knifing and the knife man. Also, please mention that this problem is just starting. Uh, it's not even approaching the middle. So if it isn't stopped now, then where is it going to end up? Then our caller says that there is real fear. Most people uh, will tell you this. Also, uh, tell this reverend man, the bishop, uh, that we're no longer a Christian country. Uh, we are a secular country, says John Farley. Thank you indeed, uh, John, for that. Uh, our phone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, the Irish Daily Mail is reporting uh, today that doctors are warning grandparents not to visit newborns. Uh, over the course of uh, the Christmas months. This is babies who are less than four months old. Uh, A a consultant uh, at Crumlin's Children's Hospital quoted in the paper saying that grandparents are better off parking it for a few weeks and waiting to see their grandchildren. Let's talk to Anne Dempsey, Communications Manager with Senior Line. Good morning, Anne. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, That will come as a, a blow to many older listeners, I'm sure. It will indeed, Michael. Good morning to you. Uh, we haven't, like, in terms of the run-up to Christmas, we've callers talking about Christmas in general terms at the moment. Now, the fact this new uh, stricture hasn't surfaced on the line yet, it's, it's very, very new, but we, I have no doubt that it will, and we'll get all kinds of responses to it. And I would imagine that most of our callers will be very disappointed if they're involved in families with small babies, mm. but they'll be quite pragmatic and understanding the reasons for their own sake yeah. and for the baby's sake. And for the well, baby. 100 know? babies in intensive care over the past six weeks uh, and uh, of course uh, it poses uh, a risk to older people then if they come into contact with uh, the deceased themselves. So I think it would probably would be wise as hard as it is to follow the advice. It is because it's the ironic or the sad thing is it's Christmas Day is a Monday at the moment this year, as you know. So a lot of people would be, you know, joining families, extended families, perhaps for the whole weekend, coming on Friday evening, a whole weekend, maybe, you know, not going home until Tuesday or Wednesday. So it'll be it's a very, very big thing for many of our callers. Mm. Christmas. Those that are lucky enough to have families and are invited to their families, not all are, of course. But as I say, I mean, you know, a lot of our callers will be very understanding and very wanting to kind mm. of cooperate and uh, not make life difficult for themselves or anyone yeah. else. Or, or as the case may be, they'll say, well, we'll just add that to our list of, of woes. I should mention the senior line, which is one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one, one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one, And we'll repeat that in a moment. You have about 28,000 people calling you over the course of the year and you're releasing some really disturbing details from those calls uh, this morning. Uh, about half of the people who've been in touch with you say they're dreading Christmas. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very sad point, Michael. We began canvassing our callers um, some weeks ago and asked them how they feel about Christmas. Are you looking forward to Christmas? And, I mean, we, get, we have a lot of positive responses as well. Uh, people really looking forward to Christmas, uh, being with their grandchildren, um, you know, somebody to buy for tote, book tokens, being with the family, all of that. But, as you say, very, very sadly, we were kind of taken aback about this in some ways, uh, quite a large proportion of our callers so far, and this is not a statistical survey, Michael, it's very anecdotal, and we've, I've, I've kept notes right along the way, though, um, of so many callers not looking forward to Christmas for all kinds of reasons. Um, kind of, they, you know, they they feel that their Christmas makes everything more so. So if you're on your own for Christmas and you feel everyone else is having a great time, you really, it really is very, very difficult for you. I'm thinking of one caller here who said, I hate Christmas, she said. It goes on forever with the television ads and all the happy stuff. You get the impression that everyone is having a marvellous time except you. And even though I know it's not true, she said, it's very depressing. So that's one of the kind of uh, responses we got, Michael. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it emphasises uh, the situation that people are, are in uh, and if uh, people are feeling isolated and uh, alone makes it all, all the worse and there comes your service no doubt on Christmas Day uh, I take it uh, people are, are very grateful that you're taking calls We're open on Christmas Day it's a very very busy day just reverting back Michael to the whole situation if somebody can't go out to join family again there are other issues arise from this because some of the services like Meals on Wheels don't operate on Christmas Day and, you know, the, the service does the best mm. it can and it gives meals in advance. But we would be saying if this is happening now this year as it is, there's maybe a new role for certainly for neighbours to be particularly on the lookout for their older neighbours and not assuming, oh, should they've always gone to so-and-so. They might be able to go to so-and-so this year and they might be there on their own. So please look out, call in, see if they're okay, see if there's anything they need, see if there's anything you can do. Mm, and people are generally very good and like to do. Oh, that they're very thing, good. They? I think mm, we live yeah. in a in a in a in a despite what the other all the other news. We live in a, a very kind and good country. I think. I mean, and that shows through, absolutely shines through on senior line as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. if somebody feels lonely on Christmas Day or any day of the year, your lines are or open. Or any from, day. Yeah. From ten, any- ten in the morning till ten in the evening. Yes, and I've been talking to some of our volunteers, Michael, who are speak, going to be speaking on Christmas Day, uh, and they're really looking forward to it, and they were kind of saying, there's a lovely atmosphere on the line on Christmas Day, and I've, I've been on Christmas Day myself, so do, don't do be on your own. If you're on your own, do phone us, and we're there, and we're delighted to hear from you. 10 to 10, free phone number, 1800 80 45 91. Very good. And thank you, as always, for joining us. And um, We have that number here uh, at the radio station. If people didn't have uh, a pen to hand, if you want to give us a, a bell, we can pass it on to you. We'd be glad to. Uh, if you do have a pen now, uh, just to repeat it, one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one. And Dempsey Communications Manager with Senior Line there. Now, uh, thanks uh, to Shane. Shane, I don't know what I did on you this morning, uh, but he just sent me a text to say, Michael, you're an anti-Catholic and you're anti-Irish. 
uh, and I'm uh, a racist too, I think, because I'm anti-Irish. Uh, as I say, Shane, I don't know what I did on you, uh, but I hope uh, reading out your message uh, is uh, enough for you. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else in touch with us saying, Shane, to see uh, the attitude uh, of some people towards people coming into this country, uh, we have forgotten where we came from and that the Irish was a nation of emigrants, as we heard on your programme, Michael, last week uh, in that great Pogue song. Thousands are sailing across the western waters. Thank you indeed uh, for your message. If you have made comment and you've been in touch, thanks. Uh, if you would like to add to what's been said, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 041983 text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, if you're a parent with young children in County Louth, you may be very interested in uh, the Louth Parent Hub. We'll hear a little bit more about it now. Gavin McGee is manager at Louth ABC Programme and Louth Local Development. He's come into us uh, this morning to tell us about the Louth Parent Hub. And a very good morning to you. Thanks uh, for joining us, Gavin. Uh, this uh, is something that's been getting a, a lot of attention. Uh, one-stop shop for parents of young children, I think. Yeah, thanks a million, Michael. It's uh, great to be here and, I suppose, get more word out there. Um, Like you said, we've developed a hub um, for parents. That's an online, um, I suppose, like I said, one-stop shop for parents that can access information about supports in their own area. Um, And the the parent hub itself wasn't just something that we designed ourselves. It was something that was informed by parents locally. And it was also um, part of a local and national strategy um, and funded through the Tusla China Family Agency. Mm. So, yeah, delighted to get it out there at the minute. Very good. And you have the support of the Department of Health for that matter, yeah? Yeah, we've got the mm. support of the Department of Children and Families mm. and um, the DCE, DIY, the okay. big long acronym. But, um, yeah, so it links um, very well into the local strategy and the national strategy from mm. the department as well. So I take um, it there's lots to do with health at the Loud Parent Hub if you need a doctor doctor or uh, something like that, you might get some information there, but it's not just health-related issues, is it? Yeah, no, like, it's part of local parenting strategy, and really it's about putting information out there for parents, and it's a one place that parents can go to find information about services in the county. Um, we do have a number of events each year that mm. consult with parents and ask them what is it that they need or what they need help with in County Louth. We're allowed base, so we ask specifically about that area. And what has constantly been coming up is that they need to know where to go. Hmm. So we said that we would try and develop one place that they could go find the information. And not just information on services, but what supports are out there as well, because that's important as well. Hmm. With parents, when they're looking for services, they need to know exactly what it is they do. So we've created that on the website itself. It's a directory of services. And each service that signs up to it um, can create their own page. And within their own page, they can give a description of what it is they do, but also give a bit more information about what category that might fall into. So, for instance, if you're a youth service in Drada, for instance, mm. we can geomap you. And if a parent's looking for a youth service in Drada and they type it into the search engine on the website, your service will come up with a link to your mm. um, social media pages, your contact details, okay. but also a wee bit of information about what you do and you know who you okay. are. Okay, so this isn't just services for parents, it's services for their children as well, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's mm. services for everybody. And it's really hard to kind of nail it down to something that's just for parents because really when you talk about parents, it's a whole family that we're looking mm. to target. And 
essentially parents want to know what's going on in their area as well. So when we're talking about the information and supports that they provide, we've created a calendar of events. So if we have a parent program, for example, maybe there's a parent that's struggling with behavioural issues, or maybe there's a parent that's um, struggling with just general parenting and you know and yeah. how the daily routine goes. We have programs that operate all throughout the year, so we can schedule them out, and we have information on the website of what each of these programs do, mm. and we've linked it to a calendar that you can access and possibly register for those programs as well. So okay, so the parents could take a, a course, a, yeah. a course on parenting. Yeah, I mean, like mm. there's a lot of different types mm. of parenting courses that's available in the area. Some of them are a little bit more universal, mm. and some of them are a little bit more targeted for specific issues. So, you know, you you can have a lot of parents that just are new to being parenting, and and they want to find out a little bit more about the basic routine and structure yeah. and skills that you need to parent a child because it's not easy. And I don't think there's a parent out there that has ever said that it is easy. Yeah. So mm. a little bit of help is nice for everybody. Mm. Well, it, it, it's a job you take up. More more or less overnight, but no training whatsoever, expected to perform at the highest level possible, uh, but nobody tells you. Yeah, yeah, it is, it's tough. My Some parents uh, come home from hospital with very little support or very little uh, connection mm. sometimes. And it's nice to know that there's other people out there like you as well. Mm. And sometimes these programs introduce you to the fact that um, you know, being a parent is normal and mm. the fact that sometimes it might be a little bit hard is normal too mm. and we create that bit of support for our parents through yeah. these programmes as well. well. I imagine it, it, it's a, a must look at, if nothing else, for all local parents, uh, particularly parents uh, who uh, are relatively new parents or new to parenting, um, as uh, it may be better put. Um, but uh, I'm sure there's also a lot of people saying, well, what would I see there that I can't get on my phone? Um, well, probably things that you hadn't thought of uh, well, and even to, to, just to look through the list. You mentioned, though, the businesses uh, and yep. that uh, they can um, promote themselves through your website. Uh, as a way of saying it from the business point of view, do they yeah. pay for that? Uh, no, they don't pay oh, for okay. that. No, oh, it's, okay. a, it's a free-to-access website. Um, and again, it would, the primary primary objective of it isn't for businesses to promote mm. their um does promote themselves but really it's to provide what support is out there for our families so obviously you do have private practitioners that can um put their information up on the website but really we're looking to create as much information from everybody out mm. there for parents and like you said even though um parents might um, be able to access some information on social media or Google. You know, even myself as a parent, you know, sometimes I don't know where to go, but mm. we're hoping to create this hub as it is, um, where you can go and access, you know, what exactly these people do. You know, if you have a specific type of behavior, maybe we can help you. And that's something that um, we're open to do, you know, as the ABC program here in Louth, our our um, main goal is really, I suppose, to help parents if they do have anything that's happening at home or any sort of issues with um, parenting or even to know where to go, we can help with that as well. So they can contact the page if they don't find what they need. But um, really, it's... Mm-hmm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To open, open their eyes and give them a few more options that they might not have thought they had. Okay. Well, it really is quite comprehensive uh, from what I've seen of it uh, and it's certainly well worth looking at, I would imagine, as well for uh, a lot of new parents. The Loud Parent Hub. Loudparenthub.ie, yes. Okay. Very good. Gavin, thank you for coming into us uh, this morning. Gavin McGee, Manager at Loud ABC Programme and Loud Local Development. Uh, the Parenthub.ie is that website if you want to take a look at that yourself. Now we'll go to some completely different and the ongoing conflict in Gaza. Uh, As you know, there's many reasons uh, for concern and uh, it isn't just uh, the killing and the the destruction that comes with uh, that. Uh, But there is also the fear that uh, disease will follow the destruction, uh, something that uh, the World Health Organization has uh, been highlighting uh, with its meeting in Geneva on Friday. Uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, uh, was speaking about an almost impossible situation, uh, but one he says he hopes he doesn't have to give up on. Uh, I can't bring you that right now. Uh, we'll be able to go to uh, Dr. Tedros of uh, the World Health Organization in a few moments' time, if you bear with us. In the meantime, let me give you the telephone number again, 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the comments uh, made uh, by Bishop Ruter on uh, the programme uh, this morning uh, were uh, following uh, the winter meeting of uh, the Irish Catholic bishops in this country and in the light of uh, the riots that took place in Dublin. Those riots certainly have focused uh, a lot of minds. As you know, it, it led to, to that confidence motion in Minister Helen McEntee as uh, the Minister for Justice. We're going to speak now to Independent TD for Louth and East Meath, uh, 
uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's on the line. Good morning, Peter. Thanks uh, for joining us on the, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, you were none too happy, like most people, with uh, the riotous scenes uh, that unfolded uh, in the capital city, but you did vote support in the minister. Maybe you'd explain that to our listeners. Well, first of all, Michael, I want to condemn the, the, the barbaric attack on the three children and the carer and also on the crash manager, Leanne Flynn. I think what happened, Michael, on the 23rd of November was an absolute disgrace. And I just want to send my prayers uh, to the two people who are still in hospital. Michael, uh, a, vote, a vote of confidence came up there last week in, in Minister Helen McEntee. Uh, I, I've known Helen McEntee a long time. I knew her father very, very well. Uh, she came in on t- uh, as Minister for Justice there in 2020. Uh, in, in, in the last three years, she's increased her budget by 20% to up as far as now 2.3 billion. Uh, I know it's very disappointing at the moment that all we have is, is 14,000 gather uh, at the moment. But uh, uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a pandemic there for the last number of years and Templemore was closed. And there's between 700 and 800 uh, trainees in Templemore at the moment and another hopefully 800 to 1,000 uh, next year. Uh, I, I, I speak to a lot of guards, mm. and a lot of guards are happy, a lot of them are not happy. But I'm just saying, Michael, is, uh, uh, I, I think Helen, under, under the restraint she had for the last number of years, I think, I think personally she's done a good job. It, and that's it, the main it, reason. Is why it I right to say, though, that the government can always rely on a small group of independents, Peter Fitzpatrick being one of them, uh, for the support that they need when they face votes like this? Michael, I told you, Michael, when I became an independent, Michael, uh, just about four years ago, Michael, I told you I would I'd take vote by vote. If you look at my voting over the last three or four years and became an independent, Michael, I, I, haven't, I haven't always voted with the government. It probably, I voted more against the government the last number of years than so I did vote with the government. But, Michael, uh, 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 there's 14,000 people homeless at the moment. We have a housing crisis. We have uh, a cost of living crisis. Uh, I listen to people coming to my consistency office every Monday and Friday. Things mm. things are not things are not too great at the moment, Michael. And uh, it's important that we get a stable government. The last couple of budgets, I won't say they've been given give away budgets, but uh, the, to me, they the seem to be helping the people that are vulnerable and the people that need a bit of help. And as long as the government keeps helping the vulnerable people, mm. I will keep supporting the government. And, and do you think that the vote. government is uh, is responsible for the housing crisis or the cost of living crisis? Well, well, Michael, uh, listen, t- t- things have been pretty bad for the last number of years, Michael. Like uh, the, the, the recession came in in 2011 when, when the government took over. Things have been like, like it, 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 you have to blame the government to a certain extent, Michael. But if you look at other countries, Michael, mm. other countries are struggling big time there as well. And, and like, if you look at it, even the last number of weeks there at the moment, is I have a lot of pensions coming into my consistency office, and they've got an extra week's wages, and I have people living alone, and I have, you know children's allowance and that there. Like, like, like the crisis at the moment is like we, we've got ourselves in serious financial difficulties, and we're only getting ourselves out of it. Like the government has made mm. a commitment that to, to, to build thirty thousand houses this year, and they will build them. Yeah, but we are awash with money, uh, and the bishops, uh, in their statement, uh, to paraphrase, are, are saying that because we have these problems with housing. Um, that the government uh, has not tackled successfully or because we have these problems with the health service that the government has not uh, tackled successfully or because we have these problems with policing that the government has not tackled successfully. You have people in this country who feel as though they've been forgotten, they've been let down and that somebody is to blame and that the government has all of this money and that it's spending it on them 
the immigrants and that they are to blame for the problems uh, that leads to this far right state of, of mind and uh, ultimately then the type of rioting that we saw. Do you think that the bishops are right in that argument? Well, Michael, you seem to know more than I know, Michael. I'm on the ground, Michael. I'm listening to people. I talked to an awful lot of immigrants to come into my sensitive office and the government are having them. Uh, the, the situation, the housing crisis at the moment is, uh, we, we, uh, during uh, the, the, the lean times, we didn't build enough houses. Then we had the pandemic and, you know, it's a, world, it's a worldwide issue. But the government has given a commitment that, Michael, I'm not on your program, Michael, to be a spokesman for the government. Hmm. I, 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 study, I, I do vote against the government there at the moment. But I think over the last number, especially the last two budgets, I think the people in this country has been, has, has been helped in a big way. But the situation is, uh, the cost of living is, is causing a serious issue at the moment. Is, uh, we cannot find a rented, a, a rented property in, in the dark or country there at the moment. It, it's nearly impossible. The number of people coming in my office there last Friday, I think I might have seen maybe 40 or 50 people. And I'd say the majority of them there were talking about some kind of accommodation. And in fairness, you, you contact the local authorities, you go on the department, the house and everything else. It's just not there at the moment. Is. And as you say, Michael, is, the, 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 the country seems to be flush in money there at the moment. Is. Like, uh, I know, Michael, I was trying to do a bit of, bit of work in my house there recently. I contacted about six or seven different types of builders. And not one of them could come and, come and do a bit of work there. We seem to be a, a serious shortage of trade mm. now at the moment. Plumbers, electricians, carpenters, the whole other moment is. You know, it, but I'm just saying, Michael, the money's not the issue at the moment is. But it, it's about spending the money wisely. And I was the one that, 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 that criticised the government there last year for carrying over, uh, giving a billion euros that wasn't spent in housing. Like, did all this money should we, should we, should we spend? And I, I, I think, I think we, the government could do a better job there at the moment. Is. But it's, it's mm. important that we all work together and get together. I do honestly believe that the local authorities should be building more social houses rather than, rather than, rather than dependent on the agency, the agency to have that at the moment. Would you carry that on uh, as far as saying that if the government did better uh, in these areas, that fewer people would begrudge immigrants? Well, Michael, that's, that's, that's a serious word, be, be, begrudge immigrants, because, Michael, as I said to you, Michael, uh, all I can go is by what, what people are saying to my consistency office at the moment. Is. And, uh, uh, like, you, you do get the odd person come in to, to, be, to begrudge them. But, the, but, the, but, yeah, but I do agree, Michael, like, it's not happening in a situation when you've got 14,000 people homeless, when you've got uh, over 100,000 mm. people in, in the waiting list. Like, they, they, but they, if you saw these problems, like, Michael, yeah. the whole situation would fall. Like, well, they like, are, they are like separate that. problems, really, aren't they? But people are conflating them, and you can understand why. If somebody's waiting five years in a house and then they see somebody coming into the country and they think that they're uh, walking off the plane into... Uh, some marvellous uh, flat or whatever it is, uh, of course people are going to be uh, annoyed. Uh, and that is what people are, are using then to stir up this hatred as well. They're saying they're coming over here and they're taking everything. Well, the truth is something very different. Michael, the, the, I, I, I will agree with you. Uh, there is a lot of tension there at the moment. Is And people do come into the office and say, oh, the, the people are coming in, the immigrants are coming in, they're getting the, the first preference of the council house. They're getting on, on, on they're getting a GP cards. They're getting they're hundreds of euros on social welfare and everything else. But Michael, that is that is not true. Michael is. I know for a fact, Michael, the way the situation works at the moment is that when you come into the country, you're, you're treated like everybody else. You have to want to wait and listen to the council. I know people have been in the council for nine or ten years waiting for a house, and they, they come in me frustrated and everything else. But I know, Michael, that these things are not happening. But this, the, the Ukraine war come in. We've, we've taken maybe the guts of 100,000 uh, immigrants at the, at the moment. And, and, and in fairness, the, the country is in a bad way at the moment. Is. 
Like, if you look at it, we've 100,000 people on the waiting list, 14,000 people homeless. Uh, a lot of people out there are struggling financially. Like, you know, the amount of people that come into my constituency office looking for help. And if you look there, uh, Save a Homeless there, there's a place there on Dublin Street in Dog, Sonia there and, and the staff there. And we hadn't got, you know, volunteers. That, the, the amount of time and effort that the voluntary people do. But all we hear is about all the, all the bad things. But, Michael, I know a lot of people in this country that's doing, has doing an awful lot of good work for the immigrants. I know an awful lot of people who've come in and offered up uh, rooms in their houses or uh, houses there to, to help the immigrants. Like, we're all... But, but listen, for the last number of years, everybody has suffered. Everybody has suffered. And there's, there's a lot of tension there at the moment. But the government, the government do have an opportunity. They've given a lot of commitments there. They've filling a lot of houses. And it's important that we all put our shoulders to weed and we all work together. What happened on the 20th of November in Dublin was an absolute disgrace. Like we all forget about the poor, the poor, the poor people who were stabbed and everything else. But we, we, these anti-immigrant figures that came to Dublin there last week, they were joined by, by an opportunist rioters. And what they've done there on the 20 on the 20th of November has damaged uh, Ireland's reputation mm. at the moment. Mm. And, and I, 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 Michael, one thing I want to do is I want to commend the guards, the, the, the job they've done that day. As a former soldier, I was trained in rioting. And I'll tell you one thing, when you see these people coming at you and throwing bricks and fires and everything else, it's not a nice thing to do. And, 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 and the courage that they showed on the 23rd of, of November was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, those same people are, are saying that they were let down by a system, by a system that ha- has failed to recruit an appropriate number of Gardaí by a system that ha- has failed to plan for events like this that doesn't have the wherewithal to deal with phil- events like this uh, and that is why there's a question mark over the commissioner's head amongst members of the GRA and that is why that motion was tabled uh, against uh, Minister McEntee before the government counter motion. Uh, I'm sure you agree with all of that as well. Oh, do you do, Michael? Michael, uh, I, I know you, 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 you've known me, Christy Mangan, who's the, the mm. former uh, chief yeah. superintendent. You've known me in your programme, and I do listen to him. I think he's a very, very knowledgeable individual. Right? He says, again, this hasn't gone on for a while, and he is right. If we get more high-visibility policing on our streets, and we work very closely and engage with our local communities, that, that, that's a big, big head there at the moment. But, but the, but the guards, they have been let down. Mm. And I said, yeah, uh, Minister McEntee has increased the budget up to $2.3 billion. Yeah. It's very important. It's very important that the money is, is, is spent on, on better resources. And we do need more guards. And in fairness, Michael, we do need stronger laws. Yeah. Like, uh, these 48 people who were arrested after the crime, after, after the, 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 the thing in Dublin. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and the Parliament, 40, 40, 40, there was 40 involved. Only four came from Dublin one area at the moment. Mm, so mm. to me, I was, I was unorganised. I was literally, I was completely utterly wrong. Yeah. All I hope is there, that the, the money situation there at the moment is tapping mode back open. It's important that we get get the recruits, mm. like, you know, get them on the streets, get you know, the visibility, get a community working together. Is And I think it is, it is a goodwill. Can we, can we change party. people's minds, though? I, I mean, it seems to me that when you hear people um, talking the right wing talk, uh, that they're fully convinced of everything they are saying and that you'll never change their minds. They've made up their minds. They've closed their minds. They have decided there's a, a problem with immigrants. They might tell you that they're not racist and they don't have a problem with the immigrants, but uh, in the next breath, they'll say, in this circumstance, we've too many. The country is full. We can't cope. Uh, it's doing damage to me and my children. 
I'm worried about all of the women in my house because men are coming here. All, all these things. There's no convincing them. Do you believe that uh, we're at a stage now where people are, are, are so uh, embedded in this philosophy, if you like, that we need to police our way out of it, that uh, we can't educate people uh, and uh, expect them to turn around and say, oh, right, I didn't see it that way. Well, Michael, I do believe there's a, there's a small majority of people that, 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 that you're talking about there. Most people I talk to at the moment is have a lot of sympathy for these people coming in. Like they're coming from more driven uh, areas and that there. Like, you know, there's a, there is a serious amount of sympathy there for the moment. But they said to you, Michael, uh, these, these anti-immigrant figures, uh, they're recruiting very vulnerable people there at the moment. Is, and they, and there, is, there is a lot of tension there at the moment. Is, but there's, a, there's an awful lot of goodwill there at the moment. Is, and I'm very proud of the Irish, of the, of the, of the Irish people who put their shoulder the wheel is They've opened the door to let these people in, uh, and, and Michael, like, it's, it's not—it's it's not all—it's not all great, great news because over the last number of months, uh, a lot of these immigrants coming in now being put in, 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 into tents and mm. put into put in, put in, put in places that nobody else lived there at the moment. Is. Yeah. And we're going is, to be is, speaking to Doris in a moment about how many people are, are now being told that they have to live on the streets if they've come here from countries outside of Ukraine and seeking asylum. Uh, if you, Males coming to this country now, there is nowhere for them. And as we've been hearing today, Ukrainians will only be offered uh, accommodation for up to three months after that. They'll be on their own. Uh, but as you say, there's a lot of goodwill. But what about the bad will? Because the bad will uh, is very vocal. And it seems to a lot of people that there's a lot of people involved in this, even if there are only a small view. They're so loud that they're making so much noise that they're convincing a, a lot of people. And they are growing in strength. I think that has to be said as well. How do we deal with them? Do we have to police our way out of it, do you think? I think we do, Michael. Uh, I, I, I listened to Michal Martin speaking there in support of Helen McEntee there last week. And he mentioned that the, the people before Poppet were distributing leaflets there last week in Cork. And what the deletion was saying is the police are not on our side. Like to me, that's, it's completely another order. When you see a political party saying that our police, that police are not on our side, it's totally wrong. I think Michael is, and like I keep saying it again, Michael is, we do need, we do need more guard on the street. We do need better equipment and we need stronger laws. Like I, I believe, I also heard this morning in the radio station that they were going to create an extra 600 prison prison space yeah. there at the moment. Mm. So I think I think the, the crime should say that if people are this kind of carry on, Michael, they should be arrested. They should be should be put in jail at the moment. Is. But I, I still say, Michael, is, I, I'm a very positive individual. I think there's an awful lot of good will out there by the Irish people is, and there's a, there's a few, and I mean a very very small few. And it's very important that there be stopped down for spreading all this gossip like it. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us today. Independent TD for Loud and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, a severe shortage of accommodation has led uh, to applicants for international protection, men seeking asylum in this country, being told uh, that uh, there is no accommodation available for them uh, and uh, they're being offered goodwill, undoubtedly, and uh, a tent and a sleeping bag and a... Um, uh, few bob as the case may be it's an incredible situation going into uh, the Christmas season 76 people up to the end of uh, last week in such a situation John Lannan CEO of Duras a human rights and migrant support non-governmental organisation joins us John good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning I guess uh, it was inevitable that at some stage if people kept coming we'd run out of space uh, 
but were you expecting it so soon? Um, good morning. Um, I guess it's inevitable given the failures of government to plan properly for the ongoing arrival of people seeking protection here. They've done tremendous work in the Department of Children finding short-term accommodation for both the beneficiaries of temporary protection from Ukraine and also for international protection applicants. But we needed, we've said this for, for over a year and a half now, we've needed to see better planning in relation to the mid to longer term. We've also needed to see the building of um, more state accommodation for international protection applicants. If we go back to the white paper that was launched in early 2021, where it outlined the proposals to build reception centres in what was called phase one for, for the initial three to four months that people would be in Ireland, they've not been built either. So there, there's a lot that could be done. There's a lot that should be done that hasn't been done and the consequences are that we've got people left homeless on the streets now. Uh, and we have this new move uh, which is being signed off by the Cabinet this morning which will see Ukrainians offered accommodation for just three months. Would you be satisfied that after three months they'll be able to find somewhere themselves to live? This is another worrying um, step from, from government and the details of this are still quite sketchy but from what we understand from media reports the um the, the the weekly welfare rates that people who arrive from here on from ukraine get will be down to the 38 euro 80 a week that international protection applicants get um they will also only be provided with accommodation for 90 days now we know the difficulties the harsh difficulties that people in the international protection um, system have had trying to survive on €38.80 a week and that was even being provided with um, accommodation. Um, it's impossible to get um, children ready for school to be able to provide food for them to provide the necessaries for them as they're, they're going to, to school impossible for adults as well particularly if you can't find work so th- this is um Really, really worrying, and and we fear that it will result in increasing levels of homelessness after the 90 days are ended, and people from Ukraine have have no options left to them in terms of finding somewhere to live. Yeah, well, there is nowhere available to rent. Um, you may be on your own, but uh, that means uh, good luck to you, really, doesn't it? Um, because uh, there's so many people looking at any apartment that goes uh, 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 on the market at any time. But this is a really difficult time for anybody who's looking for accommodation. And we know that we've got close to 13,000 um, Irish people who are homeless as well. So there, there's a real need, as we've um, said many times on, on this show, for um, the, the provision of um, affordable housing um, that people can access. Um, it's really difficult for people now. We worry that there will be increasing levels of homelessness. The most vulnerable people in our society, or amongst the most vulnerable, I would say, are refugees and people who come here seeking protection. Yeah. And they're finding it particularly difficult to get access. And when you bear in mind that people from Ukraine cannot access the um, HAP, um, which um, provides access to affordable or to um, accommodation for um 
by the local authorities, then it's particularly difficult and worrying. And they'll be in exactly the same situation that men coming from other countries seeking asylum are in now, and that is, well, there is nowhere for you to stay. I'm sure people are doing their best to find accommodation. That number of uh, 76 people on the streets that I mentioned earlier was on Friday. Uh, that had reduced from 83 because uh, that would have been uh, the number of people who had arrived into the country last week uh, looking at, for international protection. But uh, after being refused somewhere, uh, some seven people then were finally found somewhere. But whether it's one or 76 or 176, there has to be concern uh, about people sleeping on the streets of Dublin, vulnerable immigrants like this, uh, because of the experience, the very recent experience of the past and how people were burnt out of their tents uh, on Sandwich Street, John. In, indeed, um, it, it's it's worrying and, um, to have people on the streets at any time. We're now facing into winter. Um, the conditions are cold. They're wet. Um, difficult for for people. And providing seventy five euro sleeping bag in a tent does not protect anyone, make them safe from from those harsh weather conditions. But as you point out, um, it's even more worrying to realise that international protection applicants who are sleeping on the streets could be at risk for violence from people who seem to be intent on imposing or opposing um, the the arrival of um, international protection applicants. We saw what happened last May, as you say, at the burning of tents in Sandwich Street. Two, three weeks ago, we saw that there was... um, Violence motivated by opposition to to migrants, and now I would worry greatly that that violence could be directed against homeless asylum seekers. And we do know from our work in Doris that refugees and, and migrants are more worried now than they've ever been about racism and about the potential for being attacked on the streets. Mm. And you say this is a problem of our own creation, uh, that the government didn't plan uh, for uh, the sort of scenario that we're in now uh, adequately so that we would have accommodation for people. Uh, but it's not going to get better anytime soon, no matter what happens now. Uh, this seems to be uh, the future, uh, at least in the very short term. There's no way out of that, that people are going to end up on the streets, John. Um well, we, we do have to bear in mind that the government has a responsibility under the Reception Conditions Directive to, to meet the basic needs of international protection applicants. And as ruled on by the High Court. find a way to do that. Yeah. And indeed, this is not something that has, has, has happened out of the blue right now. This, uh, th- this was pointed out by the High Court. The government were told that they were in breach of their obligations um, earlier this year when, when they then had people who were homeless on the streets we're back in this situation again now. The Department of Children has been at or close to capacity for, for most of the last year in terms of accommodation. So it should have been clear to the government that more state-provided accommodation was necessary. Um, capital funding needs to be made available to do that, but the Department of Children um haven't been provided with that. They also shouldn't have to deal with the problem alone. Other departments, particularly the Department of Housing, need to play their part as well. And, of course, local authorities are best placed to identify available accommodations, so they should have the power and the resources to be able to bring that into use. Mm. So do you think that that could be done in any short uh, time frame? It, it's, 
it's it's difficult to be to be optimistic about it. We see that governments seem more intent on trying to deter people from coming into the country than to address the underlying problem, which is the lack of accommodation for them. And this is quite worrying because if we look to to Ukraine, where the there is still a war ongoing, when we look to what's happening now in in Gaza and the the horrendous situation there, and the fact that. You know, we we are likely to see increasing numbers of people who need to find sanctuary and need to find protection in Ireland and in other parts of the world. We need to be addressing the underlying issues, which is the lack of available accommodation. We need to be building state um, um, st- state um, accommodation centres. We need to be ensuring that people are treated with the dignity and the respect and the protection that they that they need when they come here. Because we have to bear in mind that people, by and large, who come here seeking protection have already been traumatised by experiences. They've already been displaced from, from families. And when they get here, they do want to contribute. They want to be able to get on with their lives. And the first step that we need to ensure is in place for that is that they've got a basic level of accommodation and, and provision for, for basic needs. But we can't afford that order. We can't, uh, we haven't found the way of doing it. Um, uh, it seems to be eluding the government and it appears uh, as though we are making that crystal clear to people now and saying that there is nowhere for you to stay, that if you come here that um, you're going to have to sleep on the streets, uh, that we just can't facilitate you, so you're not welcome here. Um, in, indeed, you're, you're right that the government haven't found a way, um, but the problem is not going to go away because people will continue to have to seek protection where, in whatever part of the world they're able to get to, and that will include Ireland. So the... The, the the myth of the pull factors and and the belief that the conditions that we are the the payments that we make or the type of accommodation we provide for people is the only thing or the thing that that attracts people to Ireland just isn't true. People will come to Ireland because it's the only place they can get to in many cases, and we have obligations to meet their basic needs and to process their, their applications for protection as and when they arrive. All right, and I hope uh, that's something that we'd all aspire to be able to uh, do uh, regardless of where people have come from. John, we live there for the moment. Thank you, as always, for joining us today. John Lennon, CEO of Doris, a human rights and migrant support non-governmental organisation. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Tony in County Louth uh, says, Michael, you made certain pronouncements about the Irish homeless the other day, uh, uh, a lot of which was quite incorrect that there was always something for them which they chose to refuse in certain cases. But I I tell you from personal family knowledge that the instance of a sleeping bag being thrown at an Irish homeless person by council housing officers is nothing new for them. And if such people were aware of your condescending statement and were able to make contact, they would take grave exception to your statement. But as soon as it became 
the offering for incoming migrants and refugees, it was the headline news for you and all of the media. I did suggest that you correct your statement on Irish homelessness as soon as you made it, uh, but as yet you have not, says Tony in Louth. I do understand, Tony, that at times Irish people end up sleeping on the streets. Uh, Generally speaking, I I think uh, you're talking uh, about people who are choosing not to go into hostels uh, and I, I think that for the most part people are offered temporary accommodation as soon as it becomes available. In other words, uh, as soon as a B&B or um, uh, a hotel or something like that becomes available, uh, people are offered that emergency accommodation. Uh, in the meantime, they can use the hostel co- accommodation if they choose. Some people choose just to sleep on the streets uh, and uh, I'm not sure where um, the correction is necessary, Tony. Uh, I think what we're talking about here is a completely different situation because what I was saying was that uh, the uh, migrant, immigrant situation is not having an impact on the housing crisis in this country. People are not coming here uh, and being given houses that is impacting on the housing waiting list or any of the other crises uh, that we are facing in in housing uh, and Uh, that they should not be conflated like that. But I I don't know if that makes sense, Tony. And it's not a question of, like, you know, we make an issue of it because it's refugees. I don't understand why people think that. Uh, We just make an issue of wrongs when a wrong is being done against somebody regardless of where they have uh, come from. Thanks, as always, though, Tony, for your message today. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the world changed with COVID and how we lived in this world for that matter. And one of the big changes uh, that continues for a lot of people is how we work or where we do our work from. A lot of people working in hubs today uh, and uh, some of uh, the people listening to us today may be working uh, in a hub uh, that has one of the new quality and innovative Innovation marks Q hubs. Let's hear a little bit more about uh, this. Gary O'Mara, CEO of Me the Enterprise, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, and thanks uh, for joining us on the program uh, this morning, Gary. Q hubs uh, is a, a novel idea. The first, the, the first of it, it's kind, uh, I think, uh, uh, around the world. Tell us a, a little bit about what it means. Yeah, so um, so basically QHubs is a quality innovation and kind of management program that hubs or remote working spaces or co-working spaces can go on. And what it does is it can act as a template if you're starting out a new project altogether. So you're developing a brand new hub. It can support with templates and procedures and guidelines as to how you would do that in terms of best practice for existing hubs that already uh, are kind of established it gives them the opportunity to kind of understand where they fit on on, on a spectrum of mm. say remote working and co-working on its own or even supporting enterprise and startups and innovation management driven type enterprises and other programs or events they might do in the area and they can help them understand where they're at on that journey and depending on their ambition it can help them through programmatic support, mentoring, um, and potentially funding through agencies or whatever. It can help support them on a journey to becoming a bigger or better at what it is they already do. Very good, because it's a relatively new phenomenon. But having said that, uh, it's one that a lot of people have 
a lot of experience of over the course of uh, the last couple of years and you're hoping to draw on that experience uh, I take it and you've six key pillars you say uh, that people should be looking at in establishing hubs like so the national standards authority of ireland or if you're looking at iso standards generally you'd be looking at quality management systems which would be kind of general quality and how the hub is operated and how the hub is run by its management team then you'd be looking at environmental management which has become very important um for many reasons information security also very important that so we understand kind of what's involved there and we do that to the best of our abilities especially when we're looking to bring in remote work that's coming from corporates and other other large operations you're looking at governance also very important collaborative business relationship management is is basically you know how you're interacting with your stakeholders and other hubs how you support and work with your tenants and your clients that are coming in and then innovation management which is generally you know supporting your innovation processes if you do have ambition to go on and do something a little bit bigger or a bit better if you want to expand your hub or if you want to reach outside your hub Hmm. and support not just remote workers and co-workers but startups and other entities and other companies that may or may not be tenants but you can still work with them across your region or community and not to sit in your hands to continuously develop and improve what you're doing and that's going to be measured as well and then graded through an annual award system Absolutely, yeah. Look, it's very important. We know ourselves, we have a number of hubs and made uh, at different levels, large and smaller. And it's very important to understand, one, where you're going, but, you know, how you're going to get there and then how you got there is really important. So measuring your progress and measuring your activity uh, annually, we think will help you or help the hub understand how it is they're, they're evolving what they can do better, where they can improve, where they've done really, really well. And we do want to report, uh, kind of reward that journey for all hubs. And again, this is not about trying to encourage hubs to just be bigger all the time. It's about whatever size they choose to be, whether they're supporting remote workers and co-workers or supporting startups or running big events, whatever it is they do or whatever it is they want to do, we want to support them on the journey to help them do what they do to the best of their ability and provide the best possible service and environment for remote workers or startups to be able to thrive and to be able to grow. So measuring Mm. that and rewarding that success, I think, is very important so we can celebrate uh, across the country how our hubs are progressing and improving. And it's a great way to not just reward, but also promote the great work that is done in so many of these hubs across the country already. Okay, you don't uh, expect this uh, to be an environment that will be regulated or relegated rather to history and looking back on the COVID days. Uh, This is something that will stay with us, I gather from what you're saying, and has the potential to grow and grow significantly. I think so, Michael. Look, you know, a lot of a lot of these enterprise centres and co-working spaces is, existed before COVID. Um, COVID certainly accelerated an awful lot of uh, what it is we need to think about and how we need to evolve these spaces to support remote workers and co-workers. But that was happening beforehand. Um, you know, we had a lot of remote working spaces in Meads, uh, the Mill and Drogheda, Creative Spark and Dundalk uh, across the region here. Great hubs, supporting startups, supporting companies, doing the work across the wider region, but also supporting co-working and remote working. So really, you know, this program is, I suppose, 
going to help make the sector and the individual members and hubs and whatever more sustainable into the future and, and help them provide better services. But absolutely, we don't see it going anywhere. Um, possibly, you know, uh, COVID certainly, like I said, fast-tracked an awful lot of stuff in terms of digitization and the environmental piece, mm. getting cars off the road and everything. But this is stuff that we were already looking at. But certainly things that we need to move an awful lot quicker on and Q-Hubs is there. Q-Hubs is designed to facilitate that kind of progress and, and, and that movement forward. But yeah, we envisage the, the hub sector being around for a very, very long time. Mm, and sure. But innovation, part of that, figuring out new and better ways to support the community and our remote workers uh, and, and kind of drive that economic economic development in those local towns and regions across the country is very important. Very good. Gary? We leave it there. Thank you for joining us this morning. Gary O'Mara, CEO of Mead Enterprise. Now, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us. A uh, text, uh, WhatsApp some, from somebody who says, Michael, it's all very well talking about people coming in, having a place to stay. My daughter and her partner were told they were being evicted six months ago and they have spent all of that time trying to find a place to rent. They haven't even had a reply from the agents. Even though they've applied for everything that has come up for rent, there's no one helping them. Thank you indeed. I suppose that's one of the concerns as well that people have about Ukrainians being told after three months they're on their own to go out and rent where they're going to rent. And if they do get somewhere to rent, uh, well then that is going to interfere in uh, the housing market uh, somebody in touch with us uh, saying I hope the US and the UK are proud of themselves for allowing the murder of innocent women, children and men to continue in Gaza the US voted against the UN who wants a ceasefire while the UK abstained that's uh, Margaret who's texting us uh, it really was remarkable wasn't it Margaret uh, to see uh, another Security Council uh, resolution uh, not supported by the UN or the UK um, just for a ceasefire, just for a chance to stop the bombs and the bullets and the tanks from destroying uh, the country as well as the people in it. Margaret says they are backing Israel in the slaughter of thousands of innocent civilians while the rest of the world looks on. If like me and disgust at how Israel can slaughter it well without a care for humanity, shame on Israel, shame on the US, shame on the UK and how they can do or allow this is beyond comprehension. It's the destruction and annihilation of a a country and its people. The rules of war are not being adhered to by Israel and they are getting away with it. They are playing on words and the whole way uh, through. And all they are doing is creating more terrorists. No matter how many they kill, there will always be more to take their place. And yes, Michael, I abhor what Hamas did on the 7th of October, but Israel's response is as vile and inhumane, if not worse. Thank you, Margaret. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.